Welcome to Black Warren Reads, a weekly showcase from the authors of current releases from Black Warren Books. All stories read are available for purchase from BlackWarrenBooks.com, Amazon, and wherever ebooks are sold. Thank you for joining in, and enjoy the show. Good evening, and welcome back to Black Warren Reads. On this day, February 13th, 2024, we are continuing our read-through of Certified Gold on the Air by David M. DeMar. I am David M. DeMar, the author of Certified Gold on the Air. I am also senior editor for Black Warren Books, and I am better known as Dave the Dragon on the Black Warren Discord. Tonight, we'll be reading an additional four chapters of my novel, starting with chapter 21. Uh, Tonight, our voice cast will be me as Ricky and the narrator and a couple of other incidental characters. Uh, We also have Sky Sisk, who will be reading some miscellaneous characters as well as Thorley, uh, Ricky's mom. And we also have uh, Vaughn Ardemont back from having a night off last week, uh, who will be doing uh, not only some, some extra characters, but also two of the core villains for these chapters, which is exciting. He's kind of pulling a uh, Renard Defleureau uh, evening tonight. If you are interested in reading along, Certified Gold on the Air is available not only on Kindle and paperback and in hardcover on Amazon. It's also available in EPUB format directly from BlackWarrenBooks.com. And in fact, if you do order directly from Black Warren Books, a larger proceeds of the sale goes back to Black Warren. So it's a great way to support a local indie publisher. So with that, I believe we're ready to get started. Chapter 21. The bus shuddered to a halt. Last stop, the driver said. I looked up from my phone, glanced out the window, and blinked. This isn't Alora, I thought. I checked the time, too. It had only been about 20 minutes since I had gotten on. I picked up my bags, waited for the moderate cloud to clear out before shuffling forward. Hey, I said. What's going on? I thought this line goes all the way to the university. The driver looked up at me from her seat. Usually does, she said but the route's closed ahead and there's no detour. She pointed ahead. Street fair. You can go a few blocks and pick up the next UTA station. Might have to make a couple transfers, but it'll get you pretty close. I looked through the front windshield. Sure enough, the block ahead had been cordoned off with big blue sawhorses that had the words UCPD stenciled on them in white spray paint. Above it, a massive banner had been stretched across the street. It read, La Festa de Tutti Asanti, celebrating 75 years. Shit. I thanked the driver and stepped out of the bus, taking a better look. The road ahead was packed with people, tourists and locals alike, all of them milling about and weaving their way through a maze of food stalls and carnival games. Live music boomed from speakers somewhere farther ahead. I glanced down at my two bags filled with LPs and cassettes. This is going to take a while, I thought. Taking a deep breath, I stepped past the barricades and into the crowd. It was loud, and there were people everywhere. The scents of dozens of different types of street food mixed together wasn't helping either. 
especially when I walked past the stage where a cannoli eating contest was being held. A goblin wearing a backwards white baseball cap and a pastry stained bib was shouting and pumping a fist in the air as the judges tried to hand him an ornate plastic trophy. Get here to row, he bellowed. He turned to the runner-up, another goblin, that was staring daggers at him. The winner shook his fist at him and slapped his upper arm in the classic Sicilian salute. That's right, Joey, you goddamn ugly fuck. Try again next year. Joey glowered. I know where you sleep, you fucking mamaluke. I shuffled past quickly, turning down the closest side street and away from the pressing crowd. Once I had gotten some breathing room, I leaned up against the wall of a nearby building, setting my bags down between my legs. I then fished my phone out and brought up the UTA app, checking the bus and subway maps. Okay, let's see here. Brentwood Avenue subway station. It was about three blocks west and four north, but it looked like just three stops down the line had a stand for the bus to Alora across the street. Back in time for some peace and quiet before Nico gets back. I stuffed my phone back in my pocket, picked my bags up, and set off. The sun had begun to dip past the canyons of buildings by the time I got to the Brentwood Avenue station. It, too, was cordoned off, this time by dozens of UTA workers brandishing homemade signs and chanting slogans. One worker was shouting a call and response into a bullhorn, with the rest of the workers picking it up. What do we want? Contract! When do we want it? Now! I sighed. Mom would kill me if I crossed a picket line, I thought, calling up the UTA app again. I revised my path, walking another dozen blocks until I got to the next subway entrance, which was free of any picketing. By this time, the sun had fully set, and I was grateful that I just needed to take it for two stops before picking up my bus line. I waited a few minutes for the next subway and shuffled on, sinking gratefully into an empty seat for a quick break. I took my phone out and went back to work on my set list. The first stop came and went, humans and mythics coming on and getting off. The second was more of the same. Once the doors closed again, I stuffed my phone back into my pocket and gathered my things. The subway's intercom chimed, and I looked up at the digital sign at the front of the car. The words, next stop closed for renovation, were slowly scrolling across from right to left. I put my head in my hands. I'm never getting back at this rate. It was several minutes before the train came to the next stop after that one. I stepped out onto the platform, coming face to face with a large paper map of the UTA system set in a frame on the wall behind a sheet of scratch plexiglass. Uh, now, how far out of the way am I? This subway, this subway line was out. It kept on going east, well past Alora University, and then juked north along Destry Bay and out to the suburbs. As I traced my route on the map, I started counting blocks. 10, 12, 14. My finger landed on the UTA stop I needed. There was an asterisk next to it, so I checked the map legend. Limited bus service at this stop after 8 p.m. Next bus scheduled for 10.30 p.m. I glanced over the digital clock on the wall of the platform. It read 8.12. My shoulders slumped. I rested my head on the clear plexi and closed my eyes for a moment. Fuck, I breathed. Opening my eyes, I looked at the map again. 
What if I just walk right back to the dorms? How far could it be? We're almost in Alora now anyway. I slid my finger back to the station and started tracing up. Four blocks, five. Shit. Alora University's south entrance was only about 12 blocks north of me. The problem was Tolon Park was in the way. I did some quick measurements inside. The park was wider than it was long, and going around would take forever. Well, I'm not going through Tolan Park at night. That's a good way to get taken off the census, if Mom can be believed. Though, I took a closer look at the map. The park wasn't a perfect rectangle. The western edge was angled, and the path through was much shorter than going through the center. Cutting through the park would shave a half hour off my walk, and I'd only have to be in there for a few minutes. My mother's words rang in my ears again. She had been telling me to stay the fuck out of Tolon Park at night pretty much every day since I started classes. I looked down at the two bags of music I had carried with me all the way from South Beckettsville. My stomach turned to ice at the memory of the pain and sadness in Morgan's face when she saw Mom's handwriting on that adverts LP. To hell with that, I thought. Mom says a lot of things. I'm cutting through. What's the worst that could happen? Chapter 22 I paused at the entrance to the park. It was black as pitch inside. Or it would have been if I had been human. The trees grew close along both sides of the little paved jogging path that led off through it, only illuminated by a handful of street lamps at wide intervals. I took a deep breath. Come on, in and out, 20 minutes, then back home. There's probably nobody this close to the edge anyway. I crossed the threshold of the park. Nothing terrible happened. I took another tentative step. The world still didn't end. I shrugged. I guess Mom's just paranoid. It was a nice night. A slight wind curled through the trees, setting the turning leaves hissing gently in a way that reminded me of an oncoming tide. I could see clearly that there was no one on the path in either direction. Not even a satyr or three looking for a good time, I thought. I hafted the bags in my hands and continued, passing an overflowing garbage bin. Fucking hell, I muttered, glaring at it. Humans. It smelled worse than it looked. Half-eaten chicken wings and empty beer cans and... Oh, God, is that... I sniffed and then gagged. Ah, yep, that's poop. And not baby poop either, that's full-grown human poop. I shook my head, snorting to get the scent from my nostrils. I sneezed suddenly, the sound splitting the darkness. The entire path went silent. Oh, shit. I froze in my tracks. I probably just startled some raccoons or something. Or opossums. There's opossums in Tolan Park, right? I didn't wait to find out. Wiping my nose in my sleeve, I sat down at the path, my ears pricked and eyes peeled. After a few moments, the sounds of the forest seemed to return. I passed under a street lamp and the wind picked up again. I filled my lungs, trying to calm my pulse rate, and stopped. That smell. That's not a fucking possum. I heard the faintest of noises behind me and to my left, like a subtle click. I spun around in fright and yelped as something buzzed past me, followed by a high-pitched squeal cut short by a dull, wet 
thump. Jesus, fuck, I hissed, backpedaling and looking around wildly. I almost tripped over my own feet. Glancing over my shoulder, I saw something sticking out of a tree trunk behind me and far to the left, the the bark splintered from the impact. A voice rang out from across the road. Father, I I do believe you struck the little beast. The bottom dropped out of my stomach. I recognized that voice. It was the same one that had been tormenting me all semester in my management accounting class. The same one that had so graciously sent me that invitation to go hunting. Panicked, I dove into the underbrush, burrowing deep into a thicket of boxwood shrubs growing along the footpath and making myself as flat as possible. The foliage on the other side of the path parted, and there he was in all his snide glory. Wyndham Summers, dressed in expensive-looking hunting gear, all hand-tooled leather. He had an ornate crossbow, all gleaming wood and face-steel filigree slung on his shoulder. He swept his eyes across the road, raking past my hiding place. Oh God, don't see me, don't see me. His gaze slipped from the boxwoods and alighted on the spot where the crossbow bolt had slammed into the tree. His face split into a terrifying grin and looked back to the opening in the underbrush behind him. Bullseye, father. Pin the little bastard right in place. A deeper, older voice answered. Excellent, my boy. I knew our evening would be fruitful. Another she emerged, tall and impossibly handsome like Summers. The family resemblance was uncanny, like looking at one of those social media filters that make you look a few decades older. The comparison was even more pronounced, seeing as he was dressed almost identically to his son, down to the ornate crossbow in his hands. Summers pointed, and the older she, his dad, apparently, turned to look. A cruel, triumphant smile creased his impeccable features. Well, will you look at that? As I live and breathe, looks like your old paterfamilias still has what it takes, eh? He strode across the footpath towards the tree and knelt down, plucking at the thighs of his hunting pants and hiking them up as he did so. Look at you, he whispered, reaching out and grasping the still quivering crossbow bolt with one deftly manicured hand. From my angle, I couldn't see what it was that he had hit, but I could hear what sounded like labored wheezing. It intensified as the she began turning the bolt. Oh, oh no, none of that. He crooned softly, almost tenderly, before he pulled the bolt free with a vicious jerk, revealing a wickedly barbed tip dripping with silver blood. I winced. There was a wet, rattling breath, like someone struggling to speak. A guttural cough, and then... Why? The voice was weak, soft and gravelly, spoke in a language I couldn't understand. We've, we've done nothing to you. The she's eyes went wide, his expression softening in mock compassion. Oh, my poor little friend. I assure you, it's nothing personal. Just a bit of sport, 
on a lazy autumn evening. Summers walked over and pulled a long, glimmering hunting knife with an inlaid wooden hilt from a belt sheath. He handed it to the older she. Here, father, he said. Far be it from me to deny the honorable Erethus the glory of his kill. Summer's father took the knife wordlessly, turning the blade over in the orange sodium light of the street lamp. His other hand kept its grip on whoever he had wounded in place against the tree and out of my sight. Thank you, son, he murmured before whipping his knife hand in one fluid moment. There was a terrible squelching sound followed by the soft thump of something, something hitting the ground and coming to rest at Rethus's feet. Hmm. A clean cut indeed. Rethus stood, knife hand covered in dripping silver. He held his other hand out to Summers, who deposited an embroidered silk handkerchief into his father's open palm. Rethus used it to clean the blade dispassionately before handing it back to his son. Here, my boy, wrap up our little trophy and place it with the others. We've had a truly bountiful night. Almost wipes the taste of that vile bit of minstrelsy out of my mouth. Summers bent down, wrapping something up about the size of a grapefruit in the handkerchief. He stuffed it into a large leather sack, already bulging with what looked like similar items. I'm telling you, Father, I, I had no idea that... that worm would have the audacity to select such a song. Ah, uh, but he did, did he not? Even after you ridiculed him to his face, not less than a fortnight prior? Rethus turned to leave, passing Summers without sparing him a glance, not even slowing down as he pressed the curved, inlaid hilt of the hunting knife to his son's chest. And then he chose to respond to our most gracious of invitations with such disrespect. Astonishing how it shows a song entitled Goodbye, Earl, if it didn't think that that would be considered a direct threat. Summers blanched in the glow of the streetlight, making his skin look ghoulish and wan. He struggled to resheath the hunting knife, hurrying after Rethus. Father, please, allow me to avenge the slight. I, I, I already know where he sleeps. We... We could have his hide tanned and transformed into a lavish cloak. One that matches the dragon hide cape worn by the crown prince. Even the colors would match. Rethus scoffed. <laughs> oh. And should I arrive at court with the head of a white dragon on my shoulder without Prince Hadron taking it as a slight? Though it might be an excellent way to orchestrate a family reunion of sorts, I'm sure your little college friend would appreciate that, wouldn't he? Silvery blood was oozing across the ground, down the slight incline and seeping into the earth beneath the boxwood I was sheltering in. The rivulet touched my outstretched hand. I screwed my eyes shut, bit my tongue, and tried not to scream. Please leave, please leave, please just leave. Come, boy. We must away. 
The night is still young, and we should... Hmm. What's this? I opened my eyes to see both Rethis and Summers looking down at the footpath where I had left my music. The older she was towing one bag with a sumptuously, tool, sumptuously tooled leather riding boot. Huh. Is this... mortal trash? Summers knelt down, examining the outside of the bag. Morgan's... Oh, right, that's Summers. <laughs> Let me redo that. Uh, Morgan's music. He read aloud before opening it and peering inside. He pulled out the adverts LP, turning it over in his hands for a moment. This is queer, he said. Father, this wasn't here when we came by this way earlier. Truly. Hmm. Rethis reached into a quiver slung low across his hip, pulling out another crossbow bolt. He casually loaded his weapon. Oh God, Ricky, do something. How droll. Perhaps you'll have the chance to avenge the slight before you knew it, boy. His eyes scanned the underbrush, roving over the bushes where I had been hiding. I held my breath, not daring to move. The tip of the she noble's crossbow dipped, almost imperceptibly. I cast my eyes to the left and right, looking wildly for a way out, seeing nothing but the two fae silhouetted in the light of the nearby street lamp. I cast my eyes to the side, looking for an exit, any exit, and yelped as something buzzed past my cheek, showering me with splintered tree bark. I scrambled out of the bushes into my feet, right into the light of the street lamp. A cruel laugh split the silence. <laughs> ah, there you are. I could practically smell you. A bit late for a stroll, isn't it? Don't you know that these are the hunting grounds of the summer court, <laughs> worm? I froze, dead in my tracks, and turned then fell back to the ground and scrabbled backwards off the jogging path. The street lamp cast funhouse shadows along the ground as I did so. Another tree arrested my retreat, and I winced at the sudden impact. Rethis stepped into the circle of light, clearly revealing his haughty features, upswept ears, and cruel smile. He had nestled his massive crossbow in the crook of his arm. He loaded another wickedly sharp bolt, never taking his eyes off me. The ratchet mechanism clicked slowly. I held one hand up to shield my eyes from the glare of the street lamp. I, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not much sport, am I? Come on, haven't you ever heard of passion release? You know, let a few seasons go by so they grow a bit bigger. The she's eyebrows shot heavenward. Touch. At release. Oh, my stars and garters, my son. You were right when you said he was a water worm. He flicked his eyes over to his left for a moment. Summer stepped forward, holding his own ornate crossbow. This is the prey you've been hunting at university, isn't it? A predatory grin spread across the face of Summers. 
He hunkered down in front of me, creating his crossbow at a casual threat. Oh, yes, father. This is Ricky. Ricky. Meet the Honorable Earl Rethus, my esteemed sire. He smirked, looking back up at his father. Of course. A white would look at things in terms of fishing. Ricky, eh? How common. Reth's eyes glittered dangerously, belying his courtly smile. Tell me, Ricky, did you truly think your slight would go unanswered? That my progeny would simply stand aside when you played that ridiculous song on the radio? That I would allow such a slight to stand? I gaped at the she, stricken with disbelief. It was just a song, I wanted to shout. It wasn't even about you! Words failed me. I only watched, frozen to the spot, as Rethus slowly raised the crossbow to his shoulder, his fingers curling around the trigger. My mother's voice echoed in my head. Now or never, kid. Time to take that shot. If there was ever a time for scales as hard as steel, it would be now. I closed my eyes. A blinding flash of light illuminated the forest, making the Earl and his son both flinch, shouting and hiding their eyes. As the flash faded, I reared up in my full natural form, shaking the dirt and leaves off me from my former hiding place. Sometimes it's convenient being able to transform into a dragon the size of a pickup truck towing a U-Haul. Knowing I had mere moments before Rethus and Summers recovered, I whipped my tail, nearly half the length of my entire body in this form, hard. It further flattened the tree behind me and knocked the street lamp from its moorings. The lamp rained a shower of sparks as it fell, striking the jogging path and plunging the area into darkness. I drew as deep a breath as I could. No more hiding now, I thought, as I opened my jaws wide and unleashed a massive gout of white-hot flame. The asphalt of the jogging path grew shiny, steamed, and began to bubble. The bushes beyond combusted instantly. I had bought myself just a moment in the chaos, and I needed to use it. Gathering all four of my legs under me, I flexed my front claws, digging them deep into the charred earth. In a single motion, I tossed two great globs of steaming dirt and molten asphalt at the Earl and his son, pushed off to the ground with my back legs, and took to the sky. I heard cursing and yelling below me, but I didn't spare a glance. Instead, I flapped my wings frantically, trying to gain enough altitude that I would be out of range of those damn she and their crossbows. I wheeled to my left and jerked as a crossbow bolt whizzed by, missing my muzzle by just inches. If I had been even a moment too slow. A dizzying pain ripped through me as a crossbow bolt punched through my left wing membrane and lodged in my side. I roared in pain, corkscrewing in the air and nearly losing control. Every moment I was still aloft was agony, but I knew what would happen if I crashed inside Tolan Park. Despite feeling like I was ripping my wing to shreds, I flapped once, again, three times, and cleared the edge of the park. 
I pulled my wings in as much as I could, shortening my span and pressing my injured membrane against my flank. Wherever the bolt was, I couldn't reach it. And I don't know if I could have pulled it free, even if I had been able to grab it. The pain was extraordinary, like someone had cut open my head and poured acid directly into my brain. I was having trouble flying straight, and my vision was getting blurry. There was only one place I could go that would be safe. I just hoped I could get to it before it was too late. Chapter 23 The adrenaline was rapidly draining from my body. My vision tunneled even further. Every movement of my wings, my tail, even the simple act of breathing seemed excruciating. Still on I flew, slewing drunkenly across the sky and nearly colliding with a billboard. I needed to gain altitude, but every time I spread my wings wider, the cruel rip of my membrane would cause my flight path to hitch. At one point, I could swear I felt it tearing even worse than it already had been. The pain nearly caused me to tumble from the sky. After what seemed like an eternity of agony, I spotted my destination, the apartment block where my parents lived. If I could get to the third floor fire escape. My back left claw clipped a power line and nearly sent me into a flat spin. I was too low. I'd barely clear the second floor if I was lucky. Clenching my jaw, I bared my fangs and flared both my wings to their fullest, arresting my forward flight. I hovered for a split second, the taste of my own tears the sides of my muscle, and flapped as hard as I could. I'd like to say I didn't cry out in pain, that I dug deep within myself, gritted my teeth, and toughed my way through it. But if I said that, I'd be lying. My screech rattled windows and set off car alarms up and down the block. Flames leaked from my nostrils and seeped out between my fangs as I rose in the sky, past the second floor, up to the third. My forward momentum began to falter. I didn't have enough in me to try again. Instead, I reached forward with all four of my legs, desperately straining to grab onto something, anything, that would stop me from falling to the pavement below. A jolt ran through my front right leg as my claws made contact with the building. I clenched, claws digging into the stone and leaving long, deep marks in the facade. My legs scrabbled against the outer wall, eventually sinking both back feet into it as well and halting my slow slide downward. Then my front left joined the other three. I folded my wings tight against my body and craned my neck, looking up. The fire escape for the third floor was close. Pulling my left front claws free, I flexed my back legs, propelling me up the wall. Plaster and stone rained down as I laboriously climbed closer. I transformed as I reached the fire escape, replacing my true form with my human one. I curled up into a ball, naked, shivering, and bloody, too weak to cry out, only faintly hearing the shouts of people far below in the aftermath of my mad flight to safety. I heard the window open. What the fuck is going on out? Oh my gods, Ricky? Opening my eyes, I saw my mother silhouetted in the open frame. Chad, it's Ricky. He's on the fire escape. He looks hurt. She clambered out and knelt down next to me. Fucking hell. Ricky, what's wrong? Let me see. She touched my side. I cried out and she pulled her hand back. Ricky, you're cold as ice. Chad, where the fuck are you? I'm here. I'm here. Uh, What the hell are you? Oh, shit. My father stared down at me and mom, eyes wide. He clambered through the window as well. 
Thorley, go get some blankets and the first aid kit. I'll get him inside. Mom nodded silently, her face a mask of grief, and disappeared from sight. Dad took her place and laid his hand on my shoulder gently. I whimpered. Come on, Ricky. Up we go. His voice was soft and soothing as he gathered me up in his arms. I hissed as pain blossomed to my left side and I cried out again. Silvery blood spattered on the fire escape, hissing as it touched the metal. Shit. Chad, come on. Get him in the apartment. Mom was back, tucking my head into my father's chest as he navigated the open window. Tall as I was, it wasn't an easy task. I don't remember much after that, only that I was laid down on something soft and warm. I was rolled onto my right side gently, only half hearing my parents' panicked voices. Jesus, Chad, look at his side. I see it, honey. Uh, hold on. Hand me the sponge. Let's clean him up. Oh, hell. I sucked air through gritted teeth as the sponge touched my skin. My form fluxed, skin turning scaly, fingernails extending into claws, and then back to human. Ricky, breathe. You've got to calm down. My mother was cradling my head in her hands, her voice in my ear. You fully transform inside, and you'll blow what's left of the wall down into the street. You're all right. You're safe. We got you. We got you. It took real effort to stop. My involuntary transformations slowed and then ceased. I unclenched my jaw, fully in human form, and took a, drew a ragged breath. Um, I croaked. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It's my fault. I didn't listen to you. I gasped as the sponge touched my side again, feeling like flaming sandpaper against my skin. Shh, shh. It's okay. Try not to speak. My mother brushed the top of my head. Dad's just cleaning your side to see how bad it is. Okay, I said, wincing as my father continued to clean the wound. It, it was a crossbow bolt caught my left. Fuck. My left wing membrane. I, I was just trying to get away. The pain in my side flared and the rest of the sentence was lost, lost in a muffled scream. Okay, I, I got it. I got it. My, my father's voice was tight. God's damned. Look at this, Thorley. Mom gasped. Are you fucking kidding me? Chad, that's... Yep. Dragon's Bane tipped face steel. Something dropped with a metal-on-metal metal clink. Wicked, too. Designed to maim and weaken. Even if it didn't hit a vital part. Dad put his hand on my forehead. It felt incredibly warm. Ricky, my poor boy. I'm sorry, I whimpered. I, I missed my bus and there was a subway strike and the next stop was closed for renovations. My mind seemed to be clearing slightly. I thought I could get back to my dorm by just cutting through the corner of Tolan. My voice cracked as a painful lump formed in my throat. Stupid! I croaked, crying. So stupid! I was so stupid! The rest was just sobs. It's okay, Ricky. You're safe. Mom was stroking my head gently. 
I could feel my father poking around at the wound in my side. I, I hissed the touch, but now that the broadhead had been pulled out of me, the pain was starting to subside slightly. Tell me what happened. Was it... Was it she? I nodded. I heard them coming. So I hid in the underbrush. They... They were hunting something, killed it, took a trophy. They were leaving when they saw something I left in the path before I hid. They spotted me, so I transformed and used my breath and then tried to run. I winced. Oh, gods, they were looking for me. For me, Mom. Them? Dad asked as he continued clearing my wound. Was it a full hunting party? No, no, it was just two of them. One of them was an earl, the other... Oh, God, it was his son. He's the one who... My accounting class? They thought I had badmouthed them on the air. Thought goodbye, Earl, was me picking a fight. My father growled. Did you get a name, Ricky? Rathus, I breathed. It was... Earl Rathus. My parents grew silent, both freezing. After a long moment, they went back to what they were doing. Okay, Ricky. You just rest. We'll have this cleaned up in no time. It wasn't deep. You're lucky. It might take a little longer to heal than usual, thanks to the dragon's pain, but you'll be all right. My father bandaged my side and stood up, gathering the first aid supplies. I was suddenly exhausted. Okay, I mumbled. I'm just gonna... Things got hazy after that. I dozed fitfully on the couch under a fuzzy gray blanket, half listening to my parents' hushed conversation. It sounded like they had moved to the kitchen, but I was finding it hard to concentrate on what they were saying. Fucking summer court bullshit! The queen? <sighs> going to do? No way to prove it was them. Dragon's bane, Chad? It doesn't go on, grow on fucking trees. Word against theirs. They could claim Ricky attacked them. We've already lost a brother. Not losing my son, too. Mom, I thought, my mind racing. Mom, I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. Chapter 24 It was dark when I woke up. Completely disoriented, I tried to sit up with a start, but a sharp pain stopped me in my tracks. I clutched at my side, feeling at a gauze bandaging confusion until I remembered what I'd just gone through. Oh, God, I croaked, sinking back down to the couch cushions. A light snapped onto my right. My mother was sitting in an easy chair, a closed book across her lap. Hey, she said. How are you feeling? I groaned. Remember when Dad let us stay up late to watch WrestleMania 13 and Mac Power bomb me through that old glass coffee table? She chuckled. I remember I was ready to ship you all off to Grandma Utah just for, for the whole summer after that. I gave her a weak smile. Yeah, well, this is almost as bad. 
Well, it can't be that awful if you're cracking jokes. She put her book down on the side table and got up. You look thirsty. Want some water? I nodded, suddenly realizing how dry my throat was. What? What time is it? Where's Dad? Uh, almost 4.30 in the morning. She was rummaging in the kitchen. And I sent Dad to bed. He had the first shift. She came back with a full glass, ice tinkling in it as she walked. Here, try to sit up a little. I braced myself against the side of the couch and shifted my weight slowly. My side was throbbing. I leaned my back up against the armrest and took the glass from my mother. Thank you, I said. You got it, kid. She smiled, then sat back down in the armchair. Just sit. Don't go too hard. We'll be cleaning blood and puke from the couch cushions. The cold water burned my throat like fire. I sputtered, eyes bulging, but managed to keep it down. <laughs> Shit! I coughed. I'm sorry. I, I didn't know where else to go. Ricky, it's okay. You did the right thing. We're both just glad you're all right. She leaned forward, elbows on knees. You're lucky you're alive. You know that? If that bolt had struck your, you head on or gone even a half an inch deeper? I know. And, oh, God, Mom, I'm so sorry. I was just trying to get back to the dorms. I was on my way back from that record store you told me to vi- Oh, shit. Shit. I sagged against the couch. The music. Puck, I had two big bags of LPs and cassettes with me. That's why I wanted to get home. Hey, hey, it's okay. I'd rather have you than two bags of music. She paused. Was it anything good, though? Mom, it was a treasure trove. I looked at her blearily. But you already knew that it would be, didn't you? Just like you knew I would meet Morrigan? My mother sighed. Yeah. Yeah, I did. She paused. So, how has she been? Um, angry, sad, hurt, a lot of different things, especially after she learned who I was. I stared at her hard for a moment, or at least as hard as I could, though it probably looked more like I was constipated than anything else. I... Kind of felt the same way. Her shoulders slumped. I'm sorry, Ricky. I should have never sent you there. It's just, it was the only place that I knew you'd find what you were looking for. Mom, what the fuck? Why didn't you tell us about Morgan? Why didn't you tell us you and her were in the damsels together? That she knew Uncle Lance? That cold, tight feeling in the pit of my stomach was back. You know, she still has that adverts LP you gave her? I said quietly. Mom winced, shutting her eyes. She sighed. It was... Listen, Ricky, I wanted to tell you kids. I did. But it was just... It hurt too much. She looked out the window. Maury and I were closer than sisters once. But... Well, she didn't understand why I had to quit the band. She looked back. How the hell was I supposed to explain it to her? 
Sorry, love. I need to take over for my clan's territory. Oh, and by the way, I can hold my breath for half an hour and survive in subarctic waters. I opened my mouth, but words failed me. You could have come up with something, couldn't you? Anything? I mean, I know she's human, but she was... Special to me. My mother nodded. Outside of you, your siblings, and your father, she was the most important person in my life. Right up there with my brother. She sighed, swiping at her face. But I had my clan duty. I tried to keep in touch, but, well, first you three came, and then Lance left, and it all became too painful. Every time I thought of her, I just remembered everything that I had lost, that I could never have again. She sniffled, her hands falling heavily to her lap. So, yeah, I ghosted her. I let out a breath I didn't even know I had been holding. I... I don't know what to say. Mom shrugged, lifting her hands from her lap. You didn't know. She smiled a little, though it didn't really reach her eyes. I'm sorry, Ricky. I'm sorry about not telling you about Maury. Sorry about that Earl going after you. Sorry you got hurt. And I'm... I'm really sorry about the music. I nodded. Thank you, I said. I'm sorry I didn't listen to you about Tolan Park, Mom. Oh, honey. She said, getting up and hugging me. I'm just so relieved you're safe. She pulled back from me, her arms on her shoulders. You should probably drop that class you're in with that inbred bastard's son. She wrinkled her nose. And you should definitely take a shower. You stink like a highway underpass mosh pit. I laughed, then winced as my side complained. Okay, I said. I handed her the water glass and stood up gingerly, wrapping the blanket around me. Do you think you could get me something to wear? I, uh, well, I kind of shredded everything when I took flight. She nodded. I'll find something. There's fresh towels in the hall closet. Go get yourself cleaned up. I walked down the hallway, stopping to grab a towel. I flicked the light on in the bathroom and winced, both at the light and my reflection. I looked like shit. More than usual, that was. Covered in dirt and grime, massive bags under my eyes, hair disheveled, dried silverly blood flaking off my side, bruises up and down my body. I turned off the main overhead light and flipped on the bulbs surrounding the vanity instead to cut the glare. It was an adventure getting into the shower. I found it hard to stand for very long, so I pulled the shower head off the wall and sat on the tile bench inside the stall. I let the water heat up and then slowly began washing the muck and blood off me, the spray stinging against my skin. I was about halfway through cleaning up, thankful my parents' apartment building had unlimited hot water when there was a knock at the door. Hey, called my mother. I found some extra clothes for you. The door cracked open and she snaked her arm through, leaving them on the counter. Thanks, Mom, I croaked. I'll be out soon. Take your time, kid. Not going anywhere. She shut the door. I took my mother's advice. I didn't have much choice, considering how long it took me to finish without opening that gash in my side back up. 
When I was done, I shut the water off and sat on the bench, catching my breath. Finally, I got out of the shower and dried off. All right, let's see what we've got here. With the towel draped around my shoulders, I picked up the clothes my mother had left me. There was a pair of underwear, likely taken from Dad's drawers. Ripped black jeans looked like they'd seen better days. A pair of socks. A pair of scuffed and beaten up New Balance shoes, also likely from my father. It was also a t-shirt that might have been white at one time, but had long since faded to that nondescript, non-color you get from washing it a thousand times. Huh. I turned the shirt over. There was a faded band logo across the front. Tantric petting zoo? I shrugged and got dressed. The sun was just beginning to stream through the windows when I came back into the living room. Mom was cleaning up, pulling the slip covers off the cushions and piling them on the coffee table. They were all stained silver and pocked with holes, my blood having eaten away at them like acid. Shit, I'm sorry, I said, leaning against the doorway. My mother looked up. Oh, please, Ricky. You think I care about the couch? We're just glad you're okay. She grabbed a pile of clean, folded covers and began putting them back on the cushions. How's your side? Uh, better, I guess. I touched the spot where the crossbow bolt had lodged in me and winced. Still really tender. Yeah. That'll be the dragon's bane. Dad came out of the kitchen doorway, holding three steaming mugs. You're lucky it was just a graze, Ricky. The smell of hot cocoa filled my nostrils. He held out one of the mugs, and I took it carefully. There were mini marshmallows floating on top. I chuckled, then winced. That shit was no joke. I sat down carefully in an easy chair, cradling my hot cocoa. My father set down another mug on the coffee table. Mom grimaced. For fuck's sake, Chad, would it kill you to use a coaster? She placed a clean cushion back on the couch, grabbed the mug, and sat down. Your father's right, though. Dragon's Bane can drop one of us like a sack of potatoes. So much for no fucking dragon hunting. I shivered despite the warm mug in my hands. Had I really come so close to death? I... I... I'm sorry. My eyes welled up. I'm so fucking sorry. I, I didn't listen to you. You told me to stay out of Tulip Park at night, but, but... Hey, none of that. My father sat down on the armrest of my chair. I think you've paid more than enough for your mistake. Right, Thorley? <sighs> she took a long sip from her mug, then set it back down on the coffee table. On a coaster. Someone's gonna pay. She growled. Her eyes flashed, her pupils tightening to cat-like slits. Hey, don't you go provoking the she. We can't jeopardize the detente with Queen Alana. Damn it, Chad. What good is a detente if there are a fucking kookalabi like this Earl Rethus doing whatever they want whenever her back is turned? So what? We should just go back to open warfare? Is that what you want? My father's voice began to raise. We can't lose anyone else. Your brother... Don't. My blood ran ice cold. I'd only heard that tone of voice once from my mother before, and it was scary now as it was when I was a fledgling. That wasn't the only reason, though. 
I remembered how Rethus and Summers had discussed having another white dragonhide cloak because there was already one being worn by a she. Mom was building up a head of steam. Don't you fucking dare. Guys, stop, stop. I was standing up, though I don't even remember doing it. My pulse was hammering in my ears. Listen, Mom, Tad, please. Rethus said something. Something you need to hear. I sat back down slowly, my parents both watching me. He said... I swallowed, trying to get the lump out of my throat. It didn't work. He said that that the crown prince has... Has what, Ricky? My mom's voice was calm, quiet, soft, dangerous. I breathed a ragged sigh. He's got a... a cloak. I paused. A dragonhide cloak. My father's brows came together hard. Mom blinked rapidly. That's not all, though. Oh, gods. Listen, he said it was... I squeezed my eyes shut and took another deep breath. He said it was a white dragon hide. My mother stared at me, her eyes wide. She sat down abruptly. He... What? I winced. Maybe it wasn't. I mean, Mom, we don't know. Ricky. Dad laid a hand on my shoulder. Give me and your mother a minute, okay? His voice was soft, gentle. I nodded dumbly and wandered into the kitchen, still clutching my mug of cocoa. I could hear my father murmuring to mom in that same tone of voice. Unable to bear what would be coming next, I set my mug down on the counter and pulled a pen and post-it note out of a drawer. Going back to campus, I wrote. I'm sorry. I left the note on the kitchen island. I walked to the foyer, opened the door as quietly as I could and slipped through, closing it behind me. I paused there, my palm on the door, breathing, trying to fight off a deep feeling of dread. Okay, I whispered. Okay. Okay. I stood up, pushing off the door. A terrible, keening wail came from my parents' apartment. There it is, I thought. My own eyes stinging, I turned away and walked on the corridor to the elevator, the sound of my mother's morning song following me. And that is the end of chapter 24 and the end of tonight's reading. I'd like to thank everyone for coming out and listening tonight. And if you're listening through our podcast uh, series, I'd like to thank you for listening there as well. We do record these and post this on the Allure Public Radio podcast. So you can catch up whenever you'd like. If you want to get a copy of Certified Gold on the Air for your own, you can order it either through blackwarrenbooks.com or through Amazon.com. I would like to thank uh, everyone who came out tonight and also thank our uh, our readers this evening 
for a uh, very emotional tour de force, both Sky Sisk, uh, who handled uh, thoroughly Ricky's mom and incidental no- incidental voices, and also Vaughn Ardemont, who handled some incidental voices. The villains, Rethis and Summers, and also uh, Chad, Ricky's dad tonight. This yeah, was I was voicing most... every guy. I was voicing every guy that wasn't Ricky. <laughs> yes. Oh, and and also uh, one of the two goblins that was tonight. Yeah, it's voicing a goblin who you'll be able to see more of in book three, the Black Warren heists, Union Strong. <laughs> Coming soon, though not very soon, but soon. Yeah, we're mostly waiting on Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it's my fault, but that will change. All right, so yes, this wasn't a vo- emotional. F- four chapters tonight kind of the turning point of the novel uh we hope you all enjoyed it the rest just picks up steam from here so i hope you're all uh strapped in and ready to go for a ride on uh subsequent evenings when we return but uh for now like to sign off stay safe stay warm and we'll see you next time this has been Black Warren Books, Black Warren Reads. Have a great also night. Also, stay loved, remember? Stay loved. Oh, I forgot one. Damn it. This is what happens when you tell me to do the outro and intro last minute. I'm sorry. You're good at this. I'll get it right next time. Okay. All right. Good night, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Black Warren Reads is a production of Alora Public Radio. Episodes are edited by me, Chris, and posted to Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Learn more at BlackWarnBooks.com. Black Warren Books. Be the hero, not a token.